go. While the offering is uh, being passed out here, being taken, I, I want to take just a moment before we get into our message today to share with you uh, a little bit about an opportunity that is coming up next week. It's been our practice at Sunnybrook over the last 13 years at least that anytime we do a series on generosity and talk a little bit about this idea of having generous hearts and generous lives, we always like to, at the end of that series, give an opportunity for us to put those things into practice, uh, to, to begin to kind of live out some of the things we're talking through. And so what we do at the end of every series is we, we take a special offering for a need outside of our own church, outside of our own community, a chance for us to give as a body to something or to someone uh, that, that, that we feel kind of called to give to. And so we've given to, um, we've given to help uh, some missionaries from here, Jake and Aaron Moore, get ready to go overseas to Ethiopia. We've given to churches in town like Mount Zion here. We've been able to give and help them with a building. It's, it's something that has been a real joy to get to do uh, every couple years as, as we walk through a series like this. Now, you may be wondering, because Jim said at the beginning of his uh, sermon a couple weeks ago, generosity, this is not just about money. So the question may be, so then why are we taking an offering for money at the end? And, and the answer is because generosity is far more than giving. It's far more than about money, but it's not less than money. That, that what we want is to have generous hearts and to be generous with all of our lives, but that, that has to include our resources if we're talking about all of our lives. And, and so we, we want to be able to give to those things. There is a church that we support in Osaka, Japan, in one of the most unreached countries in the world, this church called Mustard Seed. And, and, and you probably know some of it. A group of our church went there this last fall, including Jim. And, and this church is about five years old, and they've been there for a while, kind of sharing the gospel with people who have never heard it. But they are in a spot right now where they are outgrowing their building. And, and where they meet every week isn't even theirs. They actually have to kind of go set up every morning and then tear down and set up and, every, and tear down. And so they're in a bit of a need right now. And I, we want to share this video so you could see a little bit about that. And then I'll, I'll tell you just a, more, uh, a bit more after that. I love uh, Mustard Seed. I love that church. And I love the people working there. Actually, Jay's my cousin. So that's part of the reason that I love the people there. <laughs> Um, but I, I honestly can say I love the work that is taking place there. And I've got to meet uh, at least one couple from that church, one of the Japanese couple. And, and to be able to see the way that God is working in people's lives, people who never, who barely knew the name Jesus a few years ago, and to see what's happening to them. And, and I love the, the thought that we have a chance to bless brothers and sisters that we may never even meet this side of eternity. Um, to be able to give to their need over there in Osaka. They, they've raised a fair amount of the money for this. Right now, they lack $45,000. That's how much they need. And their goal is to raise 36 of that in the States and 9,000 of it um, in Japan amongst the people there. And so that's, that's what they're aiming for. And, and I don't know, they, they don't actually know that we're doing this. They know that we're kind of interested, but, but they don't know that we're looking to take this offering. But I would love to be able to surprise them with that money and to be able to hand that to them and have them ready to go. Um, what we want to ask of you is that you would, over this next week, pray. Pray with your spouse, pray with your family about what God might be putting on your hearts, um, what he might be calling you to give to this project, and next week we'll take an offering together to be able to give to them. So I'm excited about that, and, and I hope you'll be thinking about that this next week. Um, it was early April 
in 2005, and I'm at one of my favorite events with some of my favorite people. The event is the annual citywide chili cook-off in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And while that might sound odd to you for that to be one of my favorite events, it truly was. I grew up going to this thing, living there in Muskogee, and loved it. For one, I just really like chili, so that helps a lot. But the other thing is, if you've grown up in Muskogee, you know, and if you've been to the cook-off, you know that the chili cook-off in Muskogee really does kind of encapsulate all that is Muskogee. The good and the bad and the weird, and there's a lot of all of those things in Muskogee. And so the Chili Cook-Off is an amazing place to do some people watching. And, and on top of that, there's, like I said, there's, there's chili all over the place, and there's also barbecue. People are serving barbecue to all these booths, so you're going around and eating, and there's all kinds of great entertainment, which ranges from everything from, like, bands playing live music to guys wrestling in chicken suits. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, and so this was an amazing thing. I loved being able to go this. The people that I was there with that weekend were my college buddies. I went to school in Joplin, and for some time I had been telling them about the chili cook-off, but the Muskogee chili cook-off cannot be explained. It has to be experienced. And so I had been telling them for some time, you got to come to this thing. And in my senior year, they, they, they show up, they come down with me, and we travel. And we're there this day, and we're kind of spread out walking around the place, checking it out. When all of a sudden, a couple of my friends come running up to me, and they're like, Drew, you have got to come see this thing. And I said, what? And they said, there is a guy with American flag sweatpants and a sweet mullet claiming that he is about to lift more weight than is humanly possible. To which I responded, you had me at American flag sweatpants. And we took off running to this thing. And, and sure enough, there's a booth standing there, and above it is a sign that says, show up every 30 minutes to see a man lift more than is humanly possible. And, and so we wait there in, in anticipation of this, and, and then uh, uh, the time comes, and this guy walks out, and he's got the stars and stripes on, and he's got the mullet, and he grabs a mic, and he begins to explain to the crowd that scientists have determined that there is a maximum weight that the human body, that the human frame is able to like hold up. And, and you're going to have to forgive me here because I cannot remember the weight. So I'm just going to make up a number and those of you guys who weirdly know what that actual number is, um, forgive me for how off this is going to be. But So he says scientists have determined that 1,400 pounds is the maximum amount that the human body can stand up under. Right over here I have on this rack 1,402 pounds on this rack. And in just a moment I'm going to lift that weight up off the rack, holding it up on my body and... and uh, and, and at this time, he, he kind of goes, you know, you might think that this is crazy. You might think that this is impossible. But I believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so what this ends up being, actually, it's kind of a gospel presentation. And so as he's talking, there's people making their way out in the crowd and they're handing out tracts, which is kind of cool, even if it's a little bit of an odd way to go about this. But they're handing out the tracts, and the guy finishes his spiel, and he hands off the microphone, and he walks over to the weights. And in my mind, I, I might just be um, making this memory up, but in my mind, to the weights, and he gets underneath this thing. And I'm thinking in this moment that this is going to go one of two ways. And either way is going to be awesome. <laughs> that 
Either he's going to stand up under this thing and he's just going to blast this bar up in the air and we're all going to go crazy and it's going to be this amazing moment or it's going to be just a disaster. Either way, I'm going to have a really cool story to tell later, okay? So I'm really excited. It's going to go one of these things, but, but what actually ends up happening is a lot more anticlimactic. The guy gets under the bar there and it's kind of up on his shoulders a little bit and, and he starts to kind of press up and like, I think he lifted it. I, I saw, I do remember, I saw the bar move a little bit. It was kind of like, kind of like he kind of like pressed it up and got it like an inch above the bar for about two seconds and then set it down. But then he kind of raised his hands like, like he had done what he said he was going to do, like he had done something amazing. And, and we were all kind of sitting there going, oh, that was, I guess that was it. And, and hear me, I, I don't want to dog it. That's, that's still pretty impressive, far more than I could ever do, but... I mean, the guy told us that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, if you can do all things, like, why stop at lifting it an inch above the, the rack there? Why not, I mean, all things, why not blast that thing up with one hand, right? Balance it, spin it on your finger or something like that. If we're talking all things, I, I want to see all things. But all that really happens is just kind of this slight kind of movement of the bar and back down, and it was... It's really kind of disappointing in the end. I'll tell you, though, that guy is, is not the first, and he's certainly not the last to guarantee that he's going to do something amazing by the power of Philippians 4.13. That verse, it, it might not be the most well-known verse in the world. It's got to be the most tattooed verse in the world, though, Right? Like, athletes love this verse. MMA fighters tattoo this thing across their chest when they're giving interviews. You can see it. Basketball players like Steph Curry ride it on their shoes as they're running down the court. It's there so people can see it. And then it's not just athletes. Listen, it was finals week this last week at Oklahoma State. And I guarantee you, there were some students nervously walking into their exam, telling themselves, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all, I guarantee it. I know it because I used to do that stuff. I used to be the guy, I would, in multiple different arenas, be it athletics or academics or whatever else, I used to quote Philippians 4.13 to myself as a confidence booster that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But here's the thing, you... You know, if, if you've ever been in any sort of how to study the Bible class, hermeneutics class, whether that's here or somewhere else, you know that that's not really what Philippians 4.13 is talking about, is it? It's not describing the ability to lift more weight than is humanly possible. It's not describing the ability to dunk a basketball. It's talking about something else. So two questions as we begin. The first is, what is Philippians 4.13 talking about? And second, what in the world does it have to do with generosity? We'll try to answer the first question in just a few minutes, but in answer to the second question, Philippians 4.13 falls right in the middle of a thank you note. It's a thank you note that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi for their generosity to him. And there right in the middle of it, he puts this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
We're talking about generosity. Brady said it today. Our topic is what would our missionaries say to us, which is kind of a weird topic to try and preach on. I'm supposed to stand up here and speak on behalf of our missionaries, to speak on behalf of Jay or to speak on behalf of uh, Jake and Aaron Moore. And so I figured I, I really had three different ways I could go about this. One, I could just make something up. Here's what I think they would say. Two, I could actually, I could have called Jay. I could have called Jake and Aaron and asked them, what, what would you want us to hear? Which would have been a pretty valid way of doing this, I think. The third way is actually the way I chose, and that was to ask, what does the most famous missionary of all time say about our generosity? What did Paul say? And so that's where we're going today. Paul had planted this church in Philippi something like 7 to 12 years before he wrote this letter. It would have been around AD 50 when he planted the church. And since that time, this church had become one of his favorites. Paul loved the people there in Philippi, and they loved him. They loved supporting the work that is going on. They gain kind of this reputation in the New Testament. You heard Brady talk about it in 2 Corinthians 8. They have this reputation for being a very generous church that loves to give to kingdom work and loves to give to brothers and sisters in need. And in this particular situation, Paul has found himself imprisoned, we think probably in Rome, and back in those days when you were like under arrest, when you were in prison, it wasn't really the state didn't consider it its responsibility to take care of your needs. Like it didn't give you food and clothing and all those things. That was your family's job. That was loved one's job. So Paul's here in, in chains and he's in a little bit of a dire situation. Somehow the Philippian church catches wind of it. And as soon as they get the opportunity, they send one of their own, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, to go visit Paul and to be there with him and to encourage him. But not only that, they send him with money. They send him with some resources to help pay for some of Paul's needs. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, and at the end of it, he makes sure to include in chapter 4 this little thank you note for their generosity to him. That's where we're going to be today. In Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20, it'll be on the screens. Or of course, you can open up the Bibles there in front of you. We're going to see Paul say four different things, make four different statements about generosity. When we give to kingdom work, when we give to the gospel, um, four different statements that he makes. So starting there in verse 10, here's what he says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul says, um, I, I rejoice in your concern for me that you revived it. And, and what he means, of course, he's, he's talking about their physically caring for him. And he says, it's not that you didn't care for me. You didn't have the opportunity, whether they couldn't get to him or they didn't have the money. But as soon as they had the opportunity, they, were, they came to him and gave to him. And Paul says, I rejoice. So here's the first thing that Paul says about generosity. Your generosity brings me joy, which is kind of obvious, right? Most missionaries, I think, would say that. If you give me money, that makes me happy. Fairly straightforward, but, but the truth is, and Paul is going to go to pains to make sure this is, this is understood, that it's not really the money that's making Paul happy. That the gift given to those who are serving kingdom purposes on the other side of the world, or even in the States here, gifts given to them mean so much more than the financial resources that they can provide. I'm not a missionary. I don't live overseas, obviously. I live here in Stillwater. But, 
As many of you know, I'm not on staff at Sunnybrook, actually. Uh, I work for this parachurch campus ministry here in town called The Table, or sometimes called Focus, myself and Rachel Vincent. And that means that the work that we get to do here, working with college students, is uh, because churches like Sunnybrook and our alumni and different individuals support our ministry. So I, I kind of live on that, and I can tell you from experience that when somebody calls me up and says, hey, we want to start supporting your ministry, I'm telling you, the money is great. It's awesome to have things to help us with our budget. But more than that, the fact, what that says, what that gift says to us, this thing that says, man, I value the work that is being done there. I also care about discipling students at OSU. I want to be a part of that is um, incredibly encouraging. I, I believe that the generosity of God's people is one of the greatest demonstrations of his faithfulness. So when people give, it is a reminder to people that God is faithful to provide for the task that he's called them to. I can remember the summer after my senior year, there was a group of six of us students who felt like God was putting it on our hearts to go overseas and to live for a year in this country called the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. To go there in this place that was 99% Muslim and try to share the gospel with people there and kind of create paths for maybe some more workers to come in. And, and so we went to my home church because four of us were from my home church and because my home church had actually been praying for this nation for some time and thinking about a way that maybe they could send somebody over there. And so we went before the elders and we told them kind of our vision for this and, and said, this is, this is what we want and we're, we're wondering if you would be willing to oversee us, to kind of be our authority, our sending church in this, but also to support us in this. And uh, the, the cost, as we kind of figured it out for four of us, the four of us from Boulevard to be able to go, to, to get over there at least, to get the plane tickets, to get all our stuff out there, to get established over there, was going to cost about $8,000 apiece. So $32,000 is what we need. And we shared this with the elders, and they talked with us, and they were encouraging to us. And then we left, and I didn't know this, but after we left, the elders spent some time talking about it. And basically the conversation was, we love this, we want to do this, we have no idea how we're going to do this. We don't, we don't have $32,000 sitting around to just give to this. How, how do we make this happen? So they, they prayed about it for a little bit. And, and that night, um, a lady from our church called one of our elders and said, hey, I just, I just got this pretty substantial bonus from my work. And for whatever reason, I feel like God is telling me that I should give it to the missions ministry here at our church. And the elder said, okay, that's, that's great. How much, if you don't mind me asking? And she said, well, the bonus, the check is for $32,000. I feel like I'm supposed to give that. And, and, and I'm telling you, that, that's a, a gigantic amount to give. That's a big donation. But listen, the value of that gift was far beyond the dollar amount. What happened in that moment was God confirming to his people the calling that he was placing on them. Was God making us aware of this fact that what he calls us to, he can provide for, that he can make that aware. And so our generosity to other brothers and sisters, wherever they may be, is always something that brings joy because it is a reminder of God's faithfulness. Paul will continue, though, here in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here's our verse. But it's not talking about lifting massive amount of weight. The context here is ministry. The context is kingdom work. What Paul is saying is, as I have sought to be obedient to God, as I have sought to do ministry and to bring the gospel into new places, I have been through a lot. And he had. Paul had been through shipwrecks. Paul had been through multiple beatings. The Philippian church saw him get beaten right when he planted the church. He had been thrown in jail. He had suffered at at, at a under mob violence. He had been hungry. He had been through all of these things. But Paul says, here's the secret. I learned that whatever Jesus calls me to, he sustains me in. That whatever he's asked me to do, he gives me the strength to do it. Even at my lowest, I am able to continue because he is enough. So Paul is saying to them, I am so grateful for your gift, but know this. Had you not given that to me, I'd still be okay. I've learned to be content. I've learned that Jesus is enough that he provides the strength for me to keep going. And yet, Paul says, I am thankful. Look what he says in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Here's the second thing Paul says about generosity. He says to the Philippians, your generosity is gospel work. You could actually also say your generosity is missionary work. The phrase he uses there, the word he uses is partnership with me. And he actually uses that at the very beginning of the letter. He says in Philippians 1, I think it's 5, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. Now, he's not saying that because the Philippian church, as soon as they received the gospel, they all packed up their bags and they became missionaries too and they all traveled all over the world to share the gospel. Some of them did, not all of them. But that's not what he's talking about. Their partnership is the generosity of this church to invest their lives in kingdom things. For a guy like Epaphroditus to set aside whatever he was doing and travel to Rome to spend time with Paul and to encourage him. For the people there to give their gifts to be able to help Paul with the ministry that's going on. Paul says he does not consider that just donations. He does not consider that merely to be support for him. He calls that a partnership. We are working hand in hand to bring the gospel to people. I believe that the, the, the great commission that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and make disciples is, is a church-wide mandate. That is, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is not just a verse for missionaries. But that is a calling on every one of our lives. It is a calling on the church to make disciples of the whole world. And there are some of us who are called to do that by physically going. Jay and Caitlin Greer going to Osaka, Japan and planting a church. Jake and Aaron Moore going to work amongst the Gumos people. There are some of us who are called to do that by going. The rest of us, those in this room, are called to do that by sending 
And sending looks like at least one of three things, if not all three things. Sending means prayer. There ought to be people devoting their time, their lives to praying for those who are overseas, to praying for doors to be opened for the gospel, to pray for God to raise up workers and to encourage the saints that are over in these different parts of the world. So we see our lives, or the time in our lives to be generous with our lives, whether that is going to visit those missionaries where they are, or whether that is um, correspondence with them, sending them letters or sending them packages or whatever that may be. And the third way is by giving of our resources, giving our money. That um, sending is going to look like one of these three things, if not all of these three things. And I, and I believe that all of us are called to play a role in this. So the question is, what's your role? What part are you taking in gospel work, in missionary endeavors? Now, before you just say, well, I'll choose prayer because that sounds like it will cost me the, le- the least. No, first of all, actually, that prayer probably done rightly won't necessarily cost you the least, but, but know that like the goal isn't to find what's the lowest thing I can do to be a part of this and feel good about myself, to not feel guilty. Listen, I, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. The New Testament is pretty clear about this, that giving that's simply based on guilt isn't really what we're looking for. It's not the kind of heart or mindset that God desires, and beyond that, it's not really very sustainable. So I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm trying to invite you into something. And that's actually what Paul says to the church here in Philippi. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your needs. So he said, I'm not telling you this so you'll give me more money. What I seek is the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the, the, uh, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says, what I want more than your money, what I want is the fruit that increases to your credit. Here's what Paul, the third thing that Paul would say about generosity. Your generosity benefits you. Yes, it's true, Paul says. Of course, generosity benefits me, the person who is receiving it. But Paul says it benefits you just as much, if not more, actually. In fact, in one other place, Acts 20.35, Paul says this, and he's actually quoting Jesus when he says this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed, it doesn't mean spiritual. It's more spiritual to give than to receive. No, 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 that's not what he's talking. The word is, could be translated like fortunate. In other words, if you've got 100 bucks and you give that to me, Jesus says, Paul says, you're the lucky one. You got to be the one to give. It is more fortunate, more blessed to give than to receive. How? How is that true? How is it that Paul says their generosity is to their credit the most obvious answer is, is to say that, you know, the feelings that we get when we give, to know that I've done something right, to know that I've given something to good, and, and the way that makes me feel inside is its own reward. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. And, and there are two hints he gives in this text to tell us that. The first is this word fruit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That word in the Greek is karpos, and he actually uses this in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, when he talks about what he's praying for the Philippians. I'll read that to you. 
He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit, there it is, of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul is saying here is that there is a um, fruit that, that wells up in your life. In this context, he's talking about the day when we stand before God. And what Paul wants for the Philippians is for this, this fruit that demonstrates that, that Christ has been at work in them, that he is moving in them, that he has done stuff in them. And Paul says, that's what I want for you. And then the second hint that he gives in our text is he compares their giving, he uses this word picture of a sacrifice pleasing to God, a fragrant offering. That, of course, comes from the Old Testament and the ideas of the burnt offerings or the sin offerings, the sacrifices that might be made to Yahweh. And in multiple places in the Old Testament, when an offering is given in the right way with, with a humble heart and with purity of heart and mind, and when it is offered in the way that is prescribed by God, the text describes the aroma of that sacrifice wafting up into the nostrils of God and that it is pleasing to him and that it is a delight to him. And Paul says, that's what's happening when you give. When you are generous, your generosity is displaying, and I would argue even developing within you, this kind of fruit that causes God to look on your life and say, I delight in that. I am pleased by that. And, and that might not on the surface sound like all that great a reward to you. But what you need to know is that that's exactly what you were made for. That at the very core of who you are, you were created and designed by God to please him and to live in line with him. And so in the same way that a cheetah, when it runs, is mo most fully alive because it is designed to do that, and, and a dolphin is designed to swim, so it is most fully alive when it is doing that, you and I are most fully alive, we are most fully the kind of people that we were created to be when we are living in line with God, when we are pleasing him, and generosity is one of the major ways that that takes place in our lives. We were made for that. We were made to please him, and we have the ability to do that as we give, but that's not all Paul will say about this. He goes on in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now verse 19 there, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Verse 19 is, is one that's kind of a lot like verse 13 in that it is a verse that many people have pulled out of its context and twisted to make it say things that it's not really saying. Namely, a number of preachers and teachers love to use this verse and verses like it to say to you that if you will just give, if you will just be generous in faith and trust in God, then God is going to bless you for your faith that he's going to pour out blessings on you, that he's going to give you prosperity, that he's going to fill you up with more than you can handle if you will just trust him and give first. 
to describe how many of you feel like you're at barely enough, but I need you to know that if you trust in God, he's gonna move you from barely enough to more than enough. That one touch of God's favor is enough to blast you into prosperity and to move you beyond your income and beyond your wildest dreams. Now listen, you don't even have to read the verse in context. No, that's, that's just not true. Without the context, there is nothing in verse 19 that talks about material blessing in response to our giving. There's nothing there that says that God is going to provide you with abundance or with wealth or with riches if you'll just go ahead and give. No, what does Paul say? He says he will supply your every need. What you need. And that is true. Generally speaking, that is true. Jesus actually said as much in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need those things. And he's able to provide for you. And I believe that to be true. I've experienced in my own life that when we are able to be generous, actually, we are allowed to be generous because we know that God is able to take care of our needs and to provide for us. That is a general truth from Scripture. But I also need to clarify here that a general truth doesn't necessarily mean a universal truth. Just because what Paul says here is generally true doesn't mean that it is always true. There are some occasions, there are some times in which the physical needs of Christians are not met. There are those instances, and they may be rare, but something like persecution or natural disaster or other extreme circumstances in which the people of God have their needs go without being met. There are Christians today who will starve to death. There are Christians who die from exposure. There are Christians who do not get the shelter that they need or the medicine that they need. There are Christians who suffer at the hands of violent men. And listen, Paul is not ignorant of this. Paul knows this. He's experienced it himself. Remember what he said back in verses 11 and 12. I know what it's like to be at the bottom. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be thrown into the midst of suffering and not have God pull me right out of it. To have to go straight through that. Paul has been in places where his needs are met, are not met. So then how can he say to the church in Philippi, God will supply your every need? What does he mean? You know what I think? I think Paul's already given us the answer. And it's from that very famous verse that we started off with, Philippians 4.13. I think what Paul is saying to the Philippian church and what he would say to you and I is that you are free to give and be generous because you know that God is a faithful God who will provide for all your needs. And in those rare moments when your physical needs are not met, he will meet the greater need, which is the ability to be faithful and joyful in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul is saying here is our fourth statement, that your generosity is sustained by Jesus. 
And we know this already that our generosity is fueled by Jesus. That is, there are other scriptures that say the reason that we ought to be generous, our motivation is this truth that Christ has already been so generous to us, that he has given his entire lives for uh, life for us, and so we ought to be the people who give our lives for other people. So we know that Christ is our fuel for generosity, but here he says not only that, he also sustains your generosity, that he allows you to continue to give beyond yourself because he can strengthen me even in difficult times so that when I feel I have nothing else to give, if Jesus has called me to it, he'll enable me to do that. He'll enable me to continue on with joy and with contentment. This is what ought to set Christian generosity apart from other forms of generosity is this belief that God, that Jesus himself is enough for us. We can give to our limit because Jesus is enough. That means I don't have to spend my time trying to guard my resources, afraid of letting those go because I've got something more important than that in Christ and I don't have to hoard my time and and keep from investing in the lives of other people because there are things that I need more than my own time. Jesus himself and he has met that need for me already. And this is what makes the teaching of Joel Osteen not just wrong, but wicked. Because it sets the gift above the giver. And because it turns Jesus into a funnel by which I get all the things that I want and that I need, rather than viewing Jesus as he rightly is, my ultimate need in and of himself, rather than seeing Jesus as the one who is enough for me without all the material blessings, the one who is enough for me without all the stuff, without all the comfort, without even my most basic necessities being met, that he is enough. And if that sounds to you like empty platitudes, bear in mind that the man writing these words is writing it with chains on his wrists. And he knows this to be true. He doesn't just believe this to be true. He has experienced this truth. And so have the Philippians, actually. See, that passage that Brady read to you at communion, 2 Corinthians 8, It was written several years before the book of Philippians. It's describing this time where Paul is trying to raise money for the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem who are struggling. So he's trying to raise money, and he talks about the way that God used the churches in Macedonia. That would be the Thessalonians, the Bereans, and the Philippians. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 about that. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." Paul says that the Philippian church and the Thessalonian church, these Macedonian Christians came together and they were dying to be able to give to the church in Jerusalem. But verse two is the one that gets me so much. Let me read that again. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. Do those words not just sound crazy to you? 
I, I gotta be honest, if I were gonna pick the perfect conditions, the perfect mixture for abundance of generosity, I would not pick a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty to throw into that mix. But Paul says, in the middle of those two things, mixed with a joy that only Jesus can give, what comes out of these people is a generosity that loves to give, that's dying to give, that begs to give. And that just sounds crazy to me. And I think, I think the reason why is, if I'm honest, generosity does not always come easy to me. And, and I'm starting to see that maybe my problem is this, that so often I think my lack of generosity is tied to a lack of resources. I just don't have the money to give to that. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy to invest in that person. I think that my lack of generosity is tied to a lack of resources, but I'm beginning to think that my lack of generosity is tied to a lack of understanding. That it's a failure in me to understand or at least believe the truths that are presented in Philippians 4. That the work of the gospel, that missionary work, is my responsibility and my opportunity. And that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. That it is to my benefit. That it is a favor for me to get to give. And more than that, most of all, that no matter what it may cost me in this life to be obedient to God and to try to be generous, that Christ himself is enough. That he's enough for me. That my ultimate need has already been met in him. So there's no other need that I have to worry about so much that would cause me to be stingy. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We're going to close this morning a little bit different than usual. Because I know, like I said, for me, generosity is often a result of bad thinking, of not quite understanding, and, and, I, and I'm guessing that that's kind of true for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give a few minutes, and Steve's just going to play, and we just want to give you some time to think and, and to pray and to ask what it is that God may be revealing to you through his word today, asking where it is that you are thinking wrongly about your life, your time, or your energy, or your money, and where God may be calling you to change in that, to grow, to be more generous. That you have actually the, the opportunity, we've got four or five minutes here, and you've got the, the chance, you can actually leave whenever you're ready. After you've spent some time, you can leave at any moment. I just ask that you leave quietly for those who are in there. This would also be a time if you've got a name or a person or a missionary or, or a ministry that is on your heart that you feel like God might be calling you to invest in. This would actually be a good time to come up and write it on these boards or to write it on those walls on the back as you make your way through, as you listen to what God may be calling you to. And like I said, you're dismissed whenever you, whenever you feel like you're, you're able to get up and go.